Hi, I'm Terrell Turner, the host of The Law and Finance Show, and today we have another great guest on. Now, this guest is in the legal space, but not necessarily as a lawyer, but in the technology space, because there are a lot of opportunities when it comes down to technology in the legal space. So we're definitely going to talk about that. And I'm also pretty excited because, you know, she is definitely active as a philanthropist doing great things in that space. So Stay tuned for today's episode. So without further ado, let me bring on my guest for today. Alyssa, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, Terrell. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. How are you? I am great. I am great. I will say, you know, what's been interesting is at the time we were filming this is the day after Valentine's Day. Uh I don't know if it's just because of like the Super Bowl and I stayed up late on Sunday, but it just felt like Monday moved a lot slower than I expected. It was slow. It was slow for me too. <laughs> it was slow for me too. It's it's like a, a very Monday Tuesday today. So <laughs> but we're gonna make it through. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, I am glad you are doing well. I and mean, I'm glad that you're on the show. And you know, one of the things that I find very interesting is you know, as I start to work with more law firms and get Mm -hmm. deeper into the legal space, that I'm starting to recognize that there is a phenomenal opportunity in when it comes down to technology in the legal space, because I was working with one one client of mine, and we Mm -hmm. were trying to get their settlement agreements. And they're like, oh, I'm going to have to get my assistant to scan all those to you yeah. like for the last two years <laughs> because all of them are hard copy. So I'm yeah. just like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting thing, Terrell, because it's not that there is necessarily a lack of innovation in the legal tech space. It's happening. It's just that, um, you know, lawyers by and large have been a little bit more hesitant to adopt um, and sort of, um, sort of, innovate in the way that they have been doing their work. It's it, the status quo is legal tech's biggest competition if you're um, thinking about coming into the space. And so figuring out how to make people or really inspire people to do their work differently is, is what we're super excited about um, doing in, at Fourth Party in particular. Nice, nice. I love it. I love it. Now, before we jump into the details of Fourth Party, mm-hmm. um, can you just share with us a little bit about your background? Sure. So um, I am I, I consider myself in the early stages of my second career. My first career was um, as a nonprofit fundraising professional. And um, uh, most of that was in Georgia. Um, and so really was, um, you know, really lucky to work with a number of organizations, schools um, and at, at all level of um, the education system, as well as small nonprofits who, um, you know, provided human services support, whether that's for people experiencing homelessness or um, other sort of societal challenges. And so as a part of that work, I was a grant writer and a fundraiser and and got to be a part of 
um, putting $10 million of support into communities um, in need in the state of Georgia. So um, that that was a really great experience and, and um, a ton of great relationships that I continue to um, be connected to that allow me to, you know, express my philanthropic spirit. Um, but now I find myself in uh, the sort of technology legal space. Um, and that has been, um, I think, benefited from my work as, as a nonprofit professional, particularly because, you know, you learn to do a lot more with less. Um, and so being able to kind of have that lean mindset um, and, and a little bit of uh, reckless optimism um, has really benefited me um, at this stage. Now, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up about the reckless optimism, because <laughs> one of the things that I was talking to someone about was, you know, when you're building your business, you know, there's like this extraordinary amount of optimism, yet, mm -hmm. you know, sense of reality that you have to have <laughs> to where it just seems like it is, it seems like it is very contradicting at times. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious as to how do you balance the optimism for what this could be versus the reality of, hey, what do we need to actually go execute on? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we really are, we pride ourselves on being really invested in the feedback. So uh, even though it it's, can be painful to receive, um, listening really well to what people are saying to you, particularly when you're moving into a space you know, for our case, um, my co-founder and I um, do not have technical backgrounds. And so um, moving into this space, you really have to be hyper invested in what are people saying? What are the real pain points and how am I responding to them? Um, and so that tempers some of that optimism <laughs> um, pretty regularly. Um, but then there also has to be the belief that I can turn this feedback into something useful. And so not sort of hearing it as criticisms or just, you know, people aren't going to get it. You're innovating, right? Like they, they, you're here to get their, their responses and their honest, their honest thoughts. They really are, you know, treasure um, for us, uh, an early stage startup like we are. Um, but it's figuring out how to sort of turn that into something useful for yourself and incorporate that into, um, the decision making that you that you have it really doesn't affect sort of your spirit or like how you believe in the product but it, it should inform your your decision making and really kind of give you a guidepost for how to how to get things done awesome man now you mentioned that you don't have a you know you nor your founder have a technical background now mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. seems to be I would say I'm located in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh -huh. and there are quite a few, few tech companies that are developing. And one of the things that comes up in question is that, you know, do you have to have a technical background or like people say, well, I don't know if I can start a tech company. I'm not a developer. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. what was it that made you guys a little bit more comfortable that you could say, you know what, we don't have a technical background, but we can build a tech business. Yeah, well, um, you know, we we are entrepreneurs. My husband and I were co-founders at, at Fourth Party, and he's an attorney. And um, so we have been working together in his law firm um, for a few years and sort of, you know, had the experience of having this very specific pain point. But when we thought about, 
you know, what kind of businesses we wanted to get into. We went for the ones that seemed really cool and fun that we didn't have any background in. Um, and when we got feedback from other folks as we kind of shopped around these ideas, people who, you know, have been more successful or already had established um, record of success with building businesses, they really pushed us to say, what, what's your pain? Like, I understand that this is a really cool idea, but like what perspective, unique perspective do you bring to solve that problem? Um, and so what's the opportunity that we kind of fell in our laps a little bit around fourth party is that, you know, this was something, a challenge that Gino was experiencing every day. And that's not something that you can kind of learn in school that experience of understanding that challenge and all of the nuances that go into how you sort of um, do a, a certain task in your work, that's something very unique. And, um, you know, you can't find that at, you know, a business school. And so um, it's really understanding that problem and, and how well you understand the problem that you're trying to solve and then finding the people who can get it done. So it's like the um, a book I've recently read, Who Not How, like it's really not about um, what you bring to the table in the sense of those specific skill sets around um, you know, areas that you didn't study in school. It's really, can you lead a team around a concept around solving a problem that you know really, really well? And so that's how we've kind of approached building our um, organization. We have um, team members all across the country who, you know, are the experts at what they do. And it's like be figuring out how to not be worried about what you don't know how to do, but finding the person who does it well um, is how people are able to kind of jump into these new spaces. And it's really allowing a lot more opportunity for inclusion. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, I'm very curious now. I I have a hypothesis. Okay. And so I'm going to ask a question like, okay. you know, <laughs> to me, that seems like I, I very well resonate with that perspective on, you know, being able to, you know, focus on like, hey, how do you lead and get the best out of the team? Now, I would say is prior to your professional career, had you ever like, where did you develop that team mentality and, and that that ability to be able to lower your ego to really <laughs> see the value in others. <laughs> um, so the first place that I learned that was um, I was raised by my great grandmother. Um, and so um, I grew up in California, but she was Southern. And so I feel like I had a Southern upbringing <laughs> um, in some ways. And so learning to be a part of a family and contribute and um, sort of, you know, know your role. That's something that is hard coded, right, from my youth. But um, and she was one of the first entrepreneurs that I ever got to observe. And so seeing her sort of reinvent herself through entrepreneurship was something that, you know, is just something that I treasure. Um, but, you know, I had some humbling experiences from my employment background. I went from, you know, I went and got a graduate degree and went into a manager's role and I was horrible at it. <laughs> um, and bless them, you know, um, any of my old, you know, staff that was that was supporting me. And so um, I found myself going from a manager role into an assistant role. And you have to really figure out how to, you know, work with the team, do a lot of work without getting a whole lot of credit. Um, figuring out how to sort of remove roadblocks so that your leader can be successful. And those that experience in particular, that humble pie, but also that really practical sort of like 
teamwork experience was critical for me to figure out what kind of leader I wanted to be. Gotcha. Gotcha. Awesome. I, you know, I love it. I would say my hypothesis was, I was like, I wonder if she played sports at some point. But I love it because I do think that that is something that in all of the interviews that we've done, you know, the, the you know, the law and finance show is part of the business talk library mm -hmm. media company. Um, and, and I host several shows under the business talk library and, you know, we've done, I've done what, over 400 interviews in the last two years. And something that I find to be very common about business owners that are successful are people that figured out how to focus less on the technical skill and focus more on what problem am I solving? And how do we get laser focused on solving the problem for our customer or for our paying customers? Mm -hmm as opposed to just trying to express our own creativity. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard when you're, when you've been successful in a space and you're a doer and, you know, you have that passion that drives you to, you know, get, get it done against all odds. Um, but that not, isn't necessarily the, the skill set that's going to actually like drive you to get, get more done. It, it's grit and it's, it's, it's important. Um, but, but figuring out what you don't do well and let, inviting the person in that does it well. I mean, that has saved us a lot of headaches. <laughs> Awesome. I love it. I love it. So I want to talk a little bit more about fourth party and just, yeah. you know, what is the solution that it brings to your customers? Yeah. So for folks who um, like me don't have a legal background, um, you may have found yourself in some kind of conflict, unfortunately, whether that's um, divorce or a, a dispute about a car accident. Sometimes it could just be something as simple as um, a tenant landlord argument. Um, but when you find yourself in those kinds of situations, those are considered civil disputes and they're usually handled by a middleman, uh, what I like to call the peacemakers. Um, they're usually mediators or arbitrators who come to the table and sort of help each conflicting side speak their piece and try to find some middle ground. Um, and when that happens, that usually doesn't happen in a courtroom, although most people think of their sort of lawsuits happening in the court of law. It usually happens in a conference room with uh, you know that middle person. Um, and that person, like you said, um, is usually sort of armed with a legal pad and a pen. <laughs> um, and that is the majority of how they approach that work. And it is complicated work complex work um, and they do they've done a lot more with less for a really long time and so fourth party is really um, providing that person that mediator that negotiator with a digital workspace to get their job done and so we provide them with um, all the tools to help them with all the tasks that they really kind of hate, um, just kind of get those, those tasks done a little bit easier. Note taking, calendaring, document storage, and invoicing are the main areas that we try to um, provide a modern solution for that legacy problem, system problem that they're experiencing. Nice, nice. So I guess if, if we talk a little bit about, you know, for a mediator now, without the technology, what does that world look like for them without this technology? Yeah, it's, it's pretty low tech. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I think that what the pandemic did was exacerbate an existing challenge. So, you know, 
our our work is not accessible remotely when we don't have sort of those um, digital supports in place. Um, and I think you know we were talking about sort of the lack of tech in legal when you think about you know when you interact with a lawyer that it's not usually as super high tech. Um, it's really that they are finding themselves at a place of there's increased education about the need for virtual supports because of the pandemic, it forced us into it, right? But their frustration is also just as high because um, you know it's hard to start using these new systems and and they're not always built for the people who you know um, are going to be using them and so one of the things that we're super focused on is really making sure that our platform supports mediators whether they're in the early stage of their career or that they've you know pretty seasoned and have been doing this for a while so on our platform our users range from age 35 to 80. Our average age of our user is 60, which means that they're, you know, they may have some background in using technology, but most often they've been practicing probably about 30 years. And so that, um, you know, process of using a legal pad and pen is pretty, um, you know, hard coded. So, um, so we really try to be compassionate as we think about how we design our technology so that it's responsive to someone who, who has a lot of experience or you know, maybe this may be the first time that they are considering using a CRM at they're already 30 years into their career, you know? Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I, I definitely see that trend, you know, moving upward more and more as, as you know, as the, in the legal industry, as they're starting to adopt and, and I think see the need for the technology more and more. So I, I, I definitely see that. So what has been the reception of customers as they kind of had experience with the technology and the, the app solution that you guys provide? Yeah, so we um, launched in uh, 2020 and have been working with a pilot customer and here in the Southeast um, with mediators um, across seven states, which has been really interesting just to get the different perspectives that um, folks have. Um, I think that the biggest challenge that that people experience, um, mediators experience when they're doing their work is around bookings and then payments, right? <laughs> it's like getting them business in and then getting paid for the work that you've done. Um, and so a lot of really positive feedback around that calendar management, especially because you know it's more nuanced now. It used to just be, I'm gonna meet you at my conference room. Well, now that meeting might be on Zoom it might be a hybrid, um, it may be in person. And so we wanna help people avoid sort of getting in their car, driving up to the office and then finding out it's a Zoom meeting. Um, and so that's that pain point that we've been able to really focus in on right now. And then our next stage is to focus in on that billing part of, of the process because it is really complex um, for mediators. Everything is negotiable, even their sort of rates um, or, or rate of billing terms, I, I should say. And so so um, when it's time for invoice, and that's another place where, you know, it's it's not a fun <laughs> task. Um, and we really, again, want to dial in on those things that they hate, right, and make them a little bit better um, or ho hopefully a whole lot better um, for them to be able to get that job done. Awesome. And it's amazing how those little things that you mentioned um, are those things that really do make the difference between whether mm -hmm. you have a successful business or not. Um, you know, from my my perspective of accounting and finance, I always tell people is like 
you know, it's one thing to actually do the work. It's another thing to actually get paid for the work that you have yep, done. Yeah. <laughs> and the and the solo mediator, I mean, they are a small business often of one. Um, and so they really are tasked with dealing with all of the stuff that doesn't have anything to do with their legal background, right? And the authority that they bring to that work. Um, and it, it kind of gets a little bit discounted because the assumption is, well, you're, you know, an attorney, you're going to be able to figure all that stuff out. And so um, they end up getting sort of handed off these like legacy processes and the way that it's always kind of been done. Um, and it takes a little bit more effort to kind of investigate what tool is going to be right for you. And so um, for us, we wanted to build something that wasn't a legal platform um, that mediators can use, something that was specifically built for negotiators, for their unique challenges, so that adopting the platform and getting on there could be a little bit faster. Nice, nice. I love it. So where can people go to find the app yeah. and, and really check out your website? Yeah, so we're a web-based platform um, and they can visit us at Fourth party.app. Um, there we are um, on the screen. And so uh, we really want to know what stage you are in your career so that we can um, provide you with um, an experience that supports you wherever you find yourself. Um, but again, fourth party is that secure solution for negotiators to be able to access their um, information anytime, anywhere. And so um, we're really excited about being a, a security first platform for um, a field that is highly confidential um, and providing them with a tool that can help them get their job done better. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Now, one of the things that I'm curious about is, you know, as you guys think about, you know, your perspective on where the legal landscape is when it comes down to negotiations and mediation, you know, where do you see the future for fourth party? Yeah, well, we really want to see ourselves as a market leader in the mediation space. So the 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 global conflict resolution um, sort of market is is pretty huge, um, and there is um, something like seven hundred twenty five billion dollars spent in legal tech globally every year. So um, there's a lot of opportunity there, um, but we want to stay hyper focused on the mediators. So. Some folks sort of see this as like an entry point and then to expand to a bigger legal space. Um, but mediators are going to be in higher and higher demand because of the justice gap that we find ourselves in in the U.S., particularly around civil matters. Um, something like 80 percent um, of all cases that would have come to to um, bear don't get heard um, because there's ju there just aren't enough attorneys and our courts um, are overwhelmed. And so, and again, the pandemic has made that even worse. So we're anticipating an influx of new mediators and new neutrals um, to kind of respond to that, to that court backlog and they're gonna need a really great tool. And so we plan to be there for them um, when they do um, do transition into the field and then as, you know, um, attorneys or, or law students um, consider a career, um, a career path for themselves. Mediation hasn't always been something that you go to law school to become. It's kind of like something you do after you've been a lawyer for a while or a judge. But um, what if, you know, there was more demand for this as a career path that you, you went straight into? And so um, they're going to need a lot of coaching and process mapping. And so we see ourselves playing a role, to, role in that education piece of um, becoming a mediator and launching your career. Um, and then finally, um, you know, there's a lot of 
traction in the the legal space just around do-it-yourself sort of um, representation and how to um, get that access and maybe not use a, a an attorney. And so um, there are some mediators that are working directly with individuals to get their cases resolved. And should that market continue to grow, we want to uh, participate there too. Nice, nice. I love it. Well, before we wrap up, one question that I really love asking is, you know, as you think about where you've been in your past and you think about where the business is now and mm -hmm. you think about, you know, the trajectory of where you're going, you know, mm -hmm. what's one piece of advice that you would share with other business owners in the legal industry, whether it's on the tech side or whether it's in the actual practice of law? Yeah, I think... Um it comes back to that early advice that we got around really understanding our customer's pain. So it's really easy to have a great idea and sort of go off to the races on that and co continue to confirm your own sort of hypothesis around how great this, this tool is going to be. Um, but really get invested in having conversations with the people who are actually going to be using it um, and have a really thoughtful process around how you collect the feedback. Because it's really easy for us to say, would you use a really awesome tool that solves all of your problems? Everybody's going to say yes, right? Um, but um, asking them what would motivate them to buy it or, or what kind of things um, inspire them to change their behavior. Those are going to be the nuanced answers that provide you with that guidepost to, to really get to a solution that people are going to love. And so we're in that right now, but that's going to be something that we're going to always have as a sort of tenant of the company that we're building, that we're hyper-invested in that feedback. We want to know what you hate so that we can do something about it. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for being an amazing guest. And thank, thank you. you, everyone, for watching and listening. Do head over to all the major platforms on LinkedIn, on Facebook, YouTube, as well as all podcast platforms, and definitely subscribe to the show. And special thank you to our sponsors for the show, the TL Turner Group. Until next time, we get it. Keeping track of your finances can seem pretty overwhelming when you're running a business. Achieving your financial goals in business should not be a guessing game. That's why it pays to work with someone that can take a hard look at your financial numbers and not add more stress to the balancing act of running your business. The T.O. Turner Group will provide a clear and concise explanation to your financial standing. The T.O. Turner Group will simplify finance and help you make smarter money decisions in your business.